I told my husband, I said, should I really share this story? This is my baby. This is my secret. You know, people who know me now don't even know. And it was just so, so much emotional thing where I, I, I probably had a four-hour conversation in tears. And he was like, if you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. But I think that it would touch some, some people's lives, and it did. It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too-much-information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm your host, Eva Tenuto. This is Season 3, Stories for Choice. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some content might be too much information for some listeners. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in, you can do so at tmiproject.org where you'll also find some really great merch. Either way, thank you. We are so glad you're listening. Let's dive right in. Today you're going to hear a story from Tamika, who became pregnant as a teen. This can be a difficult circumstance for anyone to face, but is especially challenging for a pastor's daughter to navigate under close scrutiny of the church community and the hypocrisy of their judgment. Now, she tells her side of the story and how she built a thriving life for herself and her family, despite the condemnation she faced back then. We caught up with Tamika after she shared her story. Stay tuned to hear what she had to say. Throughout my scholastic career, I'm praised for being a wonderful straight-A student. I'm the student body president, a leader in multiple choirs and bands. I spent six to seven days at church. I attend every Bible study, worship service, and benefit. From a young age, I'm taught to walk with a certain persona. There was a level of professionalism and grace I'm expected to carry myself with, no matter how I feel or who I really want to be. Who I am doesn't matter, as long as my family appears to be perfect, so much so that people began to label us as the Sultan family show. But now I'm 15 years old, sitting in a car, parked behind the church. I take a deep breath. I look down at my belly. Then I quickly look into the rearview mirror, shifting my focus from myself to the double-pane doors. Through the stained glass, I can see all the people attentively watching the pastor at the pulpit. I want to go back home. I have avoided this moment for several months, and the internal buildup is all but unbearable. I can no longer hide myself. I know that the public shaming is in store for me, but I'm praying it won't be as bad as I expect. As I slowly climb up the steps, holding myself on the banister, our eyes meet. I see the look of shock and disappointment and immediately sweep over his face. How far along are you? The the deacon asks. I say I'm seven months. I take a deep breath and I brace myself for this long journey. I somehow survive the next few months and triumph over the scorn from all the people in my life. Being the daughter of a pastor or any prominent person in the community is not easy. When you grow up being surrounded by the church and find yourself pregnant out of wedlock, that's shameful enough. But being a pregnant teenager makes it even worse. People feel free to comment on any of the challenges in your life. It is as though one mistake makes everyone feel as they all of a sudden know your life story. 
I am well aware of the hypocrisy. You see, I know all of their deepest secrets, the things they struggle with, the things they go to counseling for. All pastors talk to each other behind closed doors or not so closed doors. I wonder if they know that their secrets are not so secret anymore. All that doesn't matter anyway. They felt that way, and they had a right to pass judgment on my life. Now I'm no good, troubled, and a bad influence on their children. Now the same people that my life has been built around see me as less than, incompetent. They label me as fast. It's an epidemic, people would say. Why would you do that? As if I don't know that your husband was trying to take me home with him at the gas station just a few months prior. As if I don't know that you're buying drugs right after church. As if your daughter isn't the one who encouraged me to do what she was also doing. I'm not the type to confront people. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to put their business out there. The truth doesn't matter. I allow others to create my history as the months pass and my belly grows. I remove myself from the line of fire. I stay to myself, and most importantly, I stay away from them. Finally, a few months later, I walk back into the church with my baby, only a few weeks old. I take the front entrance. I'm trembling inside, but I do my best to muster up a false confidence, prepared to confront the naysayers and the so-called do-gooders. As soon as I enter, a woman I've quite literally known my entire life pulls me in. She brings me to the front of the stage and holds my hand. I feel every cell in my body pulsing. I can't think and I can barely stand. I know she feels a sweat on my palms as she grips my hand. My baby feels like a bag of cement in my arms. Dear Lord, I pray for your heavenly protection for Tamika. I pray that you cover her and keep her from the path of sin. I pray that she will no longer be living as a sinner, but will keep the trials of the flesh far from her. She will no longer live in disgrace from you. She continues, but I tune her out, and I keep my eyes closed as I feel compelled to blurt out her truths. That her daughter, only slightly older than me, has done much worse, and that she could never imagine those things. The difference is that I was not covering up, shying away from my mistakes. I'm facing them head on. She's a white woman with a black husband, just like my parents. There will always be some underlying competition that they had subjected me to, and now I have provided her with the fuel she needs to publicly shame me. After the public berating ceases, I stare out in front of the sea of faces. There are over 300 people in attendance that morning. I go to the bathroom and I stare at my son until the only thing I see is the outlining of his head through my tears. I let him know that I am not going to be what they condemned me to be. I will rise above that. I see nothing but love and innocence staring back at me, and I feel peace. I decide in that moment that anyone who wants to tell me that he is anything but a blessing doesn't have my best interest at heart. My whole world becomes him, but despite my promise to him and myself, I struggle. I struggle through school. I'm still an above-average student, but who's going to watch the baby? How am I going to get to and from school? How am I going to provide food for him as he grows?
Although my parents try to support me in their own way, I can no longer conform to their idea of what is right. I can no longer be subjected to the phony understanding or perception of who God is or who I am. They have to be who they are, and I have to be myself. And as a result, I find myself homeless a little over a year later. And because I was so young, there were no services available to me. I walk out of the DSS building, pushing my one-year-old child in the middle of winter with nowhere to go. I find a coffee shop a half a mile away, and I use my last $1.25 to buy a cup of tea so I can sit there. That semester, I stayed in nine places and somehow managed to attend and pass all of my classes. I know that if I am to fulfill my promise and create any resemblance of stability in my son's life, I have to be able to provide financially. I study nursing, a profession I never wanted, but somehow I thought that it would be the best way to care for my son. So at 19 years old, I officially became a registered nurse. I excel with my studies, attaining a bachelor's degree less than a year later and being placed in a supervisory position within that same year. I named my son Amatai. Its Hebrew meaning is upright and truthful. I named him for the purpose I saw in his life before he was born. Now a teen himself, an avid reader, enrolled in the early college program, he is living up to his powerful name. With the support of my family, I've been able to rekindle my dreams and pursue my own purpose. I continue to work as a nurse from time to time, but it's not because I have to, it's because I want to. My husband and I own a successful food company. Because of this, we've been able to create a nonprofit organization that allows us to help other people change their life's narratives and pursue their dreams. Over the years and throughout many trials and tribulations, I've developed my own relationship with God, the universe, our ancestors, whatever you want to call it. But most importantly, I've found myself. Here's Tamika. So many women came up to me and said, you told my story, you told my story. And and these are women who are in their 60s and 70s and and 30s and 40s. And like, it, it spanned the test of time. It was so healing for me in so many ways, because it was something that, you know, self shaming and, you know, like I had to make, I'm not going to let anybody tell me or do, you know, this big barrier. And I realized I realized through the TMA project that so much of what we go through and our own shames and, you know, people's perception, we ingrain in our DNA and that becomes part of who we are, but we don't have to be that. We can make the conscious decision to be who we need to be and be who we want to be and not be afraid or ashamed of it. Was it a situation that was ideal? No, but look at where... I was able to take it. Look at where all of these women were able to take it. It's not who you are in that moment. It's who you're, you're trying to be and who you're progressing to be. And that's just something that, you know, it brought me to tears and it was just, it helped me. A very special thanks to Tamika for sharing her story. Next up is Deborah. 
who faced a surreal set of circumstances after an illegal abortion. It is a true story, and yet it is hard to believe. I'm Eva Tenuto. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 3 of the TMI Project podcast, Stories for Choice, was produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was written by me and edited, produced, and mixed by Daisha Clay. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. Our operations and programs manager is Blake File. Our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. Our administrative assistant is Elijah Jackson. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. Our workshop leaders are Perla Iora, Capely Kalnick, Haley Downs, Jonathan Gonzalez, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkin, Dara Laurie, Micah, Julie Novak, Blake File, and me, Eva Tenuto. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your story, visit tmiproject.org slash podcast. <laughs>